ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hello, Kirsty Melville here and welcome to the History Listen. The story of James Cook's first Endeavour voyage 250 years ago was in many ways the epitome of the Enlightenment. But what few people know is that for 15 months, alongside this crew of exceptional Englishmen, was a Pacific star navigator, a man called Tupaya. What's very curious about the story of Tupaya is that if you read the logs and journals, it's clear that he was very important on board the Endeavour. Tupaya is a key figure, but in the received history of the voyages, he vanished. Today, with historians Anne Salmond and Jeff Irwin, and a visit to Auckland Museum, we find out just what this unsung Polynesian did. Did Cook pay attention to Tupaya? Sure he did. Tupaya was familiar at first hand. He knew where the islands were, he knew where the reefs were. But back to 1771, when the successful and celebrated expedition arrived back in England, the Tahitian's presence was forgotten. Cook was the great hero, and the fact that a Tahitian had helped pilot the ship and had provided them with a lot of information about the Pacific, that was lost to view. Wait, so who was this guy? Hi, kia ora. Kia ora, Jack Thatcher, ho. Greetings to everyone. My proper name is Chucky Wepiha Takapane Thatcher, but you can call me Jack. Uh, my role is to train young navigators for all of our waka in traditional navigation. It's a form of navigation that we believe our ancestors used to traverse the Pacific Ocean. My name's Kavi Chetty. I'm a content interpretation developer here at Auckland Museum. And my role in this exhibition was figuring out how we're going to tell the story to Paya. Tupaya was good-looking, super smart, a high priest and an expert navigator. He was now living in Tahiti because his people had lost their land in inter-island fighting. Tupaya was a high priest, a star navigator, but he was also a great authority on tribal history and regarded by the Europeans who met him as a kind of genius, somebody who was sharply intelligent. And he first met up with the British, not with Cook, but with Captain Wallace when the Dolphin came to Tahiti, the very first Europeans to arrive on the island. Europeans had been in the Pacific for, you know, some time, you know, nearly 200 years before Cook. And some of them were very well aware of the fabulous boats and the sailing skills of Pacific Islanders. Some of the canoes had been sailing rings around European boats. In New Zealand, they're called waka. In Hawaii, they're called va'a or wa'a. In the Cook Islands, vaka. And in Tahiti, they call them va'a. When the Endeavour sailed in, the British were there to observe the transit of Venus. And they hadn't had any detailed briefings, except that Tahiti existed and where it was. So they knew very little about life on the island. Tupai belonged to a special group of high-ranking people called Arioi. He knew how important he was, and he knew that he was someone of great value. We saw him as quite an astute character, obviously very erudite and a a performer. Tupai was just fascinated by the Royal Society party on board the Endeavour and made himself known to them. 
While they were on Tahiti, and they were there for three months, observing the transit and looking at Tahitian life and exploring the island and charting it, Tupai spent a lot of time with the British and with Cook. So he became well known to them, and just before the Endeavour arrived, they'd been defeated in war, and it was a very bad defeat. And Tupai was obviously anxious to gain the support of the British, not only on Tahiti, but also if he could manage it on his own home island of Ra'iatea, which had been fairly recently conquered by warriors from Bora Bora. Botanist Joseph Banks convinced Captain Cook that Tupai's knowledge of the islands and authority amongst his people would be helpful. Polynesians had mental maps. As they explored the Pacific, they created mental maps. And they had ways of passing on navigational information from generation to generation. People were able to cross ocean without instruments. They look at the stars, winds, skies, birds, and fish for wayfinding. Fa'a, canoes, transport goods and people from one island to another. Joseph Banks tries to convince Cook to take Tupaya on board, and then he ends up paying for himself to come on because Cook says no. So there's a really interesting dynamic that's probably going on between Cook and Banks. Joseph Banks has paid a lot of money, and he's a, probably one of the richest men in, in the world at this time who's on board the ship. And so, so there's already some kind of like vying here of who is the top dog on the ship. You know, at the time he wasn't the great navigator. You know, he was still proving his chops. You know, he was a great cartographer. He's not Captain Cook yet. He's Lieutenant Cook. Well, it took him a bit longer to, you know, get promoted and to get knighted and so on. I mean, you know, everyone, I mean, he was just, he wasn't... Um, He's blue collar. He wasn't a gentleman, was he? He came from more humble background. And that's part of what's remarkable about him. And you better ask Anne how tall he was too. I think he was a tall man. Tall, clever. James Cook was tall and an impressive figure, rugged and a farm labourer's son. Whereas Joseph Banks was also tall. He was a, another impressive tall person compared with many of the sailors. But he was an upper-class, wealthy, young blade of the aristocracy. And I think the relationship with Tupaya would have been closer with Joseph Banks than it was with Cook, partly for those reasons, but also because both Cook, while Cook was a navigator and Tupaya and Cook had that in common, Joseph Banks was much more like an arioi, I think. He was flamboyant, he liked the women, he was prepared to join in the ceremonies and so on. And he was fascinated by Tahitian knowledge of the world and of the sea. Tupaya had hopes of returning to Raetia and taking back his homeland from the Bora Bora people. The HMB Endeavour, 9th of August to 5th October, 1769. Tupaya and his apprentice Tayata stepped on board the Endeavour into a world shaped by European science and social rules. There's a lot of been said about, you know, how difficult it might have been for Tupaya to understand the British mode of thinking about the world and Enlightenment England and, you know, the scientific method and, you know, uh, saying that the world has got a discrete size and shape and distances and cutting it up and then finding exact pinpoint locations. And that's what Cook was trained in. 
to Pacific people, the ocean was a bridge, not a barrier. Um, but they weren't naive about it. I mean, there are parts of the ocean where islands are close together. And so you might sail off in the expectation that another island is going to pop up. But they became very aware that there were huge empty spaces. The further east in the Pacific you go, the more empty ocean there is, the harder it is to find land, the more important it was to explore and return. He skillfully piloted the endeavour around the Society Islands and introduced the British to leaders on other islands. It's very interesting that as soon as they sailed from Tahiti and travelled through the Society Islands, Cook allowed Tupai to pilot the endeavour. And bearing in mind that that was the only ship that Cook had in this voyage, allowing a local person to pilot the ship was a big call. So there was a lot of trust, I think, already in Tupai's navigational abilities and his piloting abilities. During the daytime, uh, the only real clue you have is the sun. And when he gets up to his highest point in the sky, where he is now, he's not much help to you. So you've got a big period of the day where you have no clue, so you, you have to rely on things like the wind and the swells. So you have to be able to find clues. The night has more clues than the day. Tupaia was a very experienced star navigator, so he'd sailed to Tonga. He'd been on voyages to the east as well of Tahiti. Our ancestors did it thousands of years before Europeans left the coastlines and they went out into a seemingly empty ocean and found it wasn't. Although each of those islands might be just a pin drop. <laughs> Almost every piece of habitable land in the entire Pacific was discovered before Europeans got here. He was curious, and I think he'd probably learned to speak a little English, knew that these people were something strange beyond his ken, and he was very inquisitive. I think Tupai was interested to go, but Cook would have been very glad to have him. And on the endeavour, you know, you've got some remarkable people. You know, Cook is remarkable, um, Tupaya is. Joseph Banks, yeah, Cindy Parkinson, yeah, he was the artist. I mean, what a brain's trust. You know, he's sharing his cabin with Joseph Banks and his scientists. Tupai was part of the crew and worked closely with the scientists and artists. He taught them Tahitian words and customs, and he made sure they were fed and looked after. There's coral reefs everywhere, there are outcrops of coral. Endeavour was a wooden vessel, it was vulnerable, and Tupai had already helped to pilot them around the coast of Tahiti. And so Cook knew that he was capable of telling them things like the depth of the water that passes through the reefs in the islands they'd visit, and he did that. Did Cook pay attention to Tupai? Sure he did. He knew what the winds were. You know, he knew that more than Cook. But he shared that information with Cook, and Cook was able to observe what Tupai knew. Tupai knew about islands that he'd never been to. It takes years of study. I've been studying uh, weather and soil patterns and all those sorts of things for most of my voyaging life. And I still believe I don't have anywhere near the capability of what our Tupuna would have had, what our ancestors would have understood. Captain Cook was now sailing south in search of the great southern continent. 
This exploration was guided by a British desire to find trade routes and gain new lands to expand their empire. He took the endeavor and Cook and the officers through all the ceremonies that were necessary to come safely from island to island. So they went ashore, he took them through the ceremonies of arrival that would normally happen if an Arioi uh, vessel came ashore. It must have been clear that Tupaya was, um, you know, a remarkable and distinguished person of high rank. When they sailed from Tahiti, uh, Tupaya called up the wind, in fact. Joseph Banks tended to mock this effort of his, but Tupaya did a chant, and indeed a wind did spring up and take them to the destination that he had in mind. He wanted to go to Tonga, I think, because he'd been there before and he tried to persuade Cook to sail west, but Cook had orders to sail south and to look for Terra Australis Incognita, and so that's what they did. Our teacher, Mau uh, Pialuk, I asked him one day, how many waves do you see? And he said, many. <laughs> he was describing the ocean in the different swirl patterns that he could see. I could see maybe two. In terms of the way they navigated without instruments, it was easy to see the changes in latitude because the sky changes, you know, from stars and so on. Longitude's hard because as you change longitude, it's time that changes. They couldn't control longitude, so they, they had another way of doing it. You know, what they did was they fixed the position of new discoveries by reference to known islands. So it was dead reckoning. You know, they were, they were involved in dead reckoning. Mathematically, in order to find all the land there was, they must have searched a lot of empty ocean. The star navigator themselves was, in effect, the instrument. They and the, and the canoe together, they would orient themselves as they left the land from a particular location. They would know the bearing of a familiar island that they were heading for, and they knew the paths, the stars that would rise up in succession on that bearing throughout the night. So these star paths were a major feature of Polynesian navigation, as well as the currents and the birds, and the knowledge of, you could see, for example, underwater flashes coming towards the waka when you were getting close to land, clouds that were over particular types of islands very different from instrumental navigation, which used mathematics and a kind of abstract cartography. They both knew where they were, roughly where they were, and they had a way of recording where they were. And they were different ways, but they knew what they were doing. They had a reason for doing it. I mean, they had that in common. There's a lot of been said about, you know, how difficult it might have been for Tupaya to understand the British mode of thinking about the world and, you know, enlightenment. England and you know scientific method and you know uh, saying that the world has got a discrete size and shape and distances and cutting it up and then finding exact pinpoint locations and that's what Cook was trained in. So when Tupaya looked at the ocean and the patterns that the swells were creating he could picture in his mind any direction and have an unerring sense of where islands might be that were close because of the different swell patterns that were impacting on each other. So you have to be one with your environment. You have to understand the different weather patterns. Joseph Banks has got this great line of like, and today we wake up to see where Tupaya will bring us to next. 
when you're trying to follow a path uh, in the ways that Jane says to do, it's not going to be quick. There was a squiggle on the charts after Abel Tussman's voyage. Aotearoa, New Zealand. Sixth of October, 1769 to 31st of March, 1770. They thought that they had landed at the unknown southern continent, Terra Australis Incognita, and they didn't realise that this was yet another Polynesian island. Spring planting was underway when the endeavour first landed on the shores of Aotearoa in 1769. The ship carried Tupaya, the priest navigator from Tahiti. The first day that the Endeavour arrived at Turanganui, which is Gisborne today, when they went ashore, they didn't take Tupaya with them. The British didn't understand, but neither did the local people. They didn't understand each other's protocols for dealing with strangers. And there was a shooting, and a young chief got shot dead. If Tupai had been ashore, perhaps that wouldn't have happened because when he did come ashore the next day and spoke, he was able to understand local people and they him. When he spoke to Tangata Whenua, the local Māori people, in his own language, he found he was perfectly understood. Oh yes, yeah. I mean, you know, the East Polynesian languages are sort of shared, like the Romance languages of Western Europe. The languages were quite similar, and it was a tremendous boon to Cook to have someone on board who could communicate with Māori. I think it was pretty amazing, and for local Māori, it's quite clear that Tupaya was regarded as a, a very important figure, probably the dominant figure on board the Endeavour. So in many ways, they thought that the Endeavour was Tupaya's ship because he was the one that could speak to them. He was a high priest navigator from the homeland and he could say what he liked about his European companions. Word was spreading up the country before the ship could get there, and they came out to greet them. Word of Arangatira, a leader in strange clothing, captaining a strange ship, traveled like lightning up and down the coast. Inquisitive locals came out in droves to see the endeavor. Tupai heard people calling his name everywhere they went. When Tupai arrived on the Endeavour, this is an extraordinary craft. It's about as long as a waka, a big waka, but it's much higher above the water. It had windows, so at night they would have seen light blazing out from the hull. It had these very large sails, and at first, when Māori saw it, they thought it might be a great bird returning from the homeland, flying from the homeland, or even a floating island. What Tupaya really brought to the table from that point was this ability to connect with people, to speak the language and be able to communicate with Māori, but also his status and all those kind of skills of being this cultural broker, essentially. It all pays off uh, in a huge sum for the British here because he knows the ceremony and he knows um, the importance. He knows who to look for in the crowd of who to talk to. Botanist Joseph Banks wrote in his journal, we never suspected him to have so much influence. Cook appeared to get food and water and safe harbour for his ship, and all of that had to be done through deals with Māori. I think building those relationships with people, ensuring goodwill, ensuring they're able to trade, all these kind of things, they're vital components. 
The argument's been made multiple times that Cook never would have made it to Australia if it wasn't for this. Without Tupaya, the story might have gone south very quickly. At Uawa, Tolaga Bay and Totranui, Queen Charlotte Sound, Tupaya also shared stories about his homeland and learned about the Maori world. Yeah, it's the 250th anniversary of Cook's first voyage, but it's about the 750th anniversary of the first arrival of Polynesians in New Zealand. New Zealand was the hardest place to get to in the world, apart from the Chatham Islands, and that's why it was the last. And the reason was that the Pacific was settled in the order of safety, not the order of ease of getting to. It was settled in the order of the ease of return. Coming down here is the hardest place to return from. The first people to get here were really incredibly clever about how they did it and were able to do it. And 500 years later, Cook gets here and with a different technology, he does it too. You know, one of the things that I always marvel at is the fact that we sail out there with the best wet weather gear. We have thermal gear underneath. It's quite an arduous trip to make it. And uh, it's difficult, it's cold. They did it the hard way. You know, they didn't have fleece and all that sort of stuff to keep you warm. My ancestors, I believe, were a hardy bunch of people. And uh, you had to be to be able to do what they did and to achieve what they did. At the end of March 1770, Captain Cook gave up hope of finding the great southern continent. They set sail for the east coast of Australia. Tupaya was heading into unknown territory. Sailing north, it was a challenge. A big front had just come through. Lots and lots of, of total cloud cover. And I just needed a glimpse of the sun. I didn't think I was going to get one. But I knew that I would turn down towards the west and head in that direction at some stage. And I was hoping that the direction I was going to pick was going to be a good one. And then um, what happened was just before sunset, the clouds opened and I got the glimpse of the sun on the horizon. And I knew that direction. Abel Tasman, he was the first person to sail west to east, south of Australia. He was down in the roaring 40s and he must have absolutely boomed across. I mean, it must have been a wonderful hair-raising ride that Abel Tasman had. All three coasts of Australia, apart from the east coast, were already known before Cook, but it's not what they were looking for. They were looking for a landmass equivalent to Eurasia. But if you go that way, you can't get home against the prevailing winds. And that's why there's very little evidence of Polynesians on the Australian coast. They wouldn't have got home. Tupaya was invaluable and absolutely indispensable all through the voyage. But when they got to Australia, he could no longer communicate with the local people, nor they with him. They must have been as interesting and new to him as they were to the Europeans. When Tupaya gets to Australia, all those kind of chops that he's got as a Polynesian high priest aren't working anymore. That role of being the cultural mediator, the translator, the diplomat, was no longer going to work. I think that his status on board the ship just was, you know, he was marginalised. He tries on multiple occasions to connect with the First Nations people, but it doesn't work, and it's, it's not surprising, knowing what we know now. They found him very strange, obviously, and he got sick as well. He got scurvy, so he wasn't well 
quite a lot of time on the Australian coastline. Tupaya was with them all the way through and they were travelling around east coast of Australia. They set sail for Batavia, which is now Jakarta. Tupaya and Tayata spent days exploring Batavia, intrigued by the streets, houses and people. They had these open sewers basically running all through the city at that point and it was riddled with disease. And he ate a lot of fresh fruit and sort of healed himself for a bit, but then caught something like probably dysentery. Nearly all of them got sick actually from the Endeavour crew. They were very, very ill, including Joseph Banks, and a number of people died. Tayata died first, and a few days later, a heartbroken Tupaya died on the 11th of November, 1770. It's such a shame that he didn't make it to Europe, where I believe that he could have made a big difference in how Europeans viewed this side of the world and the capability that our people had. Who knows what might have happened if Tupai had actually made it there. I mean, that's really interesting what-if kind of scenario, and maybe we would all know about Tupai if that was the case. The story of Tupaya on board the Endeavour was lost for so long. It was there in the original logs and journals, but for 250 years, Tupaya was a, a forgotten figure, uh, despite the pivotal role that he played in the voyage uh, around New Zealand, but in the Society Islands as well. The same thing happened with our understanding of how the Pacific Ocean was explored and settled in the first instance. Cook and Banks returned home as heroes, but Tupai did not finish his mission. The world itself paid tribute to the Europeans, who came so much later and have claimed them to be the dis discoverers and explorers of the Pacific. And there's a kind of hubris about that, but it's also historically incorrect. And I think it's fantastic now that we are ourselves exploring and discovering the true history of the Pacific and doing that together. Some people are wanting too much to cast this as like, oh yeah, no, it wasn't Cook at all, it was all Tupaya. As soon as you put it into that framework of one or the other, that makes it less interesting and I think it doesn't do the story justice. It's part of these guys working together whether they were trying to or not, but it was that mixture of skills that really actually probably kept them both alive and got Cook to where he was. Cook was a remarkable navigator, and so were the ancestors of the Maori. The comparison, I think, is between Cook as a remarkable navigator in the 18th century and the ancient Polynesians. They were remarkable too. Tupaya, star navigator, was produced by Ros Blewett with sound design by Russell Stapleton. Many thanks to Auckland Museum's Kavi Chitty. Tupaya died before he was able to make it to England. If he had, again, the story might have been different. He probably would have been a bit of a rock star there when he turned out. Professor Dame Anne Salmond. The journal or the log of that voyage that I would love to have is the one that was left by Tupaya. And we don't have it, of course. Associate curator Juliana Satchel-Deo. Tupaya was trying to chart out significant islands to Tahiti and to his people. Emeritus Professor Geoffrey Irwin. There's a kind of 
pragmatism and a realism about interacting with the sea and the elements and the waves that's shared by seamen everywhere through time. And Pacific master navigator Jack Thatcher. You get a whole bunch of people saying things like, well, maybe Cook didn't really appreciate Tupaya, but uh, I think perhaps he did. I'm Kirsty Melville. You've been with The History Listen, and I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.